Meanwhile, Tobias had arranged an audition for a local commercial. Lindsay came along to appear supportive. This could take a while. Honey, it's one line. <laughs> Not if I do my job right. First of all, I love it. Quick, quick question, though. Am I panicked about the fire, or am I being brave for everyone else? The fire. It, it's, it's a fire sale. Oh. <laughs> okay, I didn't, um, well, let's give it a shot. Oh, my God! We're having a fire sale! Oh, the burning! It burns me! Evacuate all the school children! Oh, May! This isn't a fever! Zing, Greg! Can't even see where the knob is! And scene. Um, would you like to try that a little simpler, maybe? No. Say what you mean. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I am your host, Jeff. And I'm your other host, Jake. What's up, dude? Dude, it's just been a kind of a weird week. For you? Yeah. Why? Just, I don't know. Just getting ready for hunting season, like oh. knowing that like that's coming up. Yeah. Just in, and the excitement for that, because that's like my life significantly changes. For like, sure. Once hunting season starts. So it's just kind of the calm before the, yeah. the, the storm. I remember when we were going to school... Um, you would get up like before school and then come mm-hmm. to school yeah. after hunting yeah. and you'd just be exhausted. Yep. And if you're talking about this much of a life change just to prepare for <laughs> hunting season, you were going to school and work on top of all of that. Oh, I'm so looking forward to uh, to not having school this year for hunt during hunting season right. because I can hunt so much more. Yeah. I didn't like I did not hunt as much as I normally do when I was in school, especially mm-hmm. the last two fall semesters cuz yeah. last fall semester I had school Monday through Friday. Wow. So it was it was hard to get out as much as I wanted yeah. to. So this will be fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to come out even if it's just me and you just to just experience to document it. Yeah, we're going to do it. It's <laughs> going to be a so lot of fun. it's going to be a lot of fun. Um so you want to talk about your new job, huh? Yeah, I wanted to tell you tell you something. So, uh, what my job entails is is, is me doing inspections, mm-hmm. um, physically, but also through the computer, just making sure that certain things are classified properly. Um, yeah. So I'll say that uh, you know, as I've told you previously, that um, just how much I hate training and I don't enjoy it, and just personalities and handling different personalities. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> oh, I walk like six miles a day. That's crazy. Yeah. Monday I walked seven miles. Jeez. <laughs> 7.7, dude. It was hope insane. I hope you're walking your eggs. <sighs> I did Pokemon a little Go. bit. Pokemon yeah. Go to give some context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm walking my eggs. Yeah, I did a little bit on Tuesday. Okay. Um, Next week, I'm on my own, and when I'm doing my job on my own, I really enjoy it. I like the investigative part about it. You know, it is, it's called weights and research coordinator, so the research part, I do enjoy, like, hmm, why isn't this working? Why is this classified mm-hmm. this way? Like, let's look up how we can 
properly classify this. Oh, there isn't one that is properly classi- classified. Okay, we're good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's that part of it's fun. It's using my brain a little more than I did just being a forklift driver. For sure. Um, but I can't wait to be on my own. It's I gonna bet. be awesome. I bet. And my and my my uh, boss sent out an email. Um, to all the coordinators, and he's like, I want to welcome our new coordinator, uh, Jeff Lopez, all caps, go Cougs. So that was cool. Oh, is he a Coug? I don't know. He oh. always rocks the Cougs. So every time he talks to me, he's like, go Cougs. Well, well. I don't think he went to college, honestly. Okay. Yeah. So is he from the, is he from the, police? he lives in uh, Tacoma. Okay. Yeah. Well, but well, if he's rocking maybe, the Cougs could, and representing. Yeah, for sure. There you go. That's yeah, my end. There's in. a lot of people who live over in the Palouse. You know, they didn't go to college, but are huge Washington State mm-hmm. fans. So I don't know. Mm, I might go to the game Saturday. Down in, oh, over in the Palouse? No. Or, oh, what? Are they playing at Oregon State? Yes. Corval? Okay. Yeah. So all my friends are Beavers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all Beaver fans. My brother's a Beaver fan. Uh, my friend Jesse's a Beaver fan. Cody's a Beaver fan. Yes, the one who ate my house. <laughs> <laughs> so Cody calls me and he's like, "Hey, do you want to go to the game? Um, the Beavers are playing your shitty ass team." <laughs> oh, the, the the Beavers, just for whoever cares to listen, are going to get their asses kicked. Yeah, that offense under guard. I didn't. I mean, I I was skeptical with when Falk graduated and left right. and they completely had to rebuild their offense. Mm-hmm. Gardner Minshew looks mm-hmm. legit. Really? Yeah. He's, okay. a, he's, a, he's a transfer quarterback from Eastern Carolina mm-hmm. or Coastal Carolina. Eastern Carolina. Mm-hmm. But super good. Yeah. The guy is incredibly more athletic than Luke Falk so he can ac- actually get out, wow. the back, out of the pocket. Yeah. Should have beat USC two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that wasn't his fault they lost. Right. Like he put up 38 points and oh you still lose. Gosh. So yeah, no, it's a it's yeah. A you good said they botched it with the they field goal or it, something. Yeah. So Cody's just trash trash talking, but he's like, "Do you want to go? Well, I'm going." And I guess our friend David and his brother they went to OSU. They have mm-hmm. season tickets. Oh wow! They drive like every Saturday down there. That's that's dedication because yeah. that's been bad football for oh, the last yeah. like five years. So he's like, "Do you want to go?" So I may go. I've never been to a college football game, so. And I'll be rocking all Coug gear everything, in everything, at OSU. Everything I've heard has been um, Reeser is a really nice venue. So mm-hmm. much so, better than having to go to Autzen, which you know we know about there. Yeah, boom. Um, so hopefully it works out, and we get tickets, and I go, um, and I get the whole experience, and then next week I can give you the rundown on how that was. Cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to. I'd like to go to that game, but I keep I keep saying I'm going to go, and then have I, you ever I, been? Never, I haven't been no. to a good game. Yeah, it's going to be, I guess we're going to do the whole thing. I guess there's a tailgating party and everything. And wow. We're, yeah, we're going to try it. But I'm doing Sober October, so I'm just going to be the Sober Sally down there. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. Yeah, we'll see how it'll go. They're going to be like, you pussy, let's go, take this beer. Uh, no, guys, sorry. <laughs> it'll be fun. Um, So, today. Yes. Um. We have some topics. You have some things you want to to, to discuss. Yeah. Um, uh, I really want to get to your fourth point um, because I think that's super interesting. But we have other things we don't want to talk about. And some of these things were prompted by listeners. A shout out, CJ. You talked to me on Saturday about um, term limits. So we're going to talk on that. Talk about I think. So term limits on, on Supreme Court. Yeah. You had um, also... Uh, friend of the podcast uh steven you texted me said mm-hmm. he had a, a an idea about what would it you know why don't we have 
instead of having a single executive from right. one party having two executives mm-hmm. from both major parties. Right. And so I kind of I jotted down some notes and some thoughts about why that would it would make things difficult. Right. Um, and why a single executive is needed, even though it's it's a it's a nice thought to get right. more plurality to our right. process. Um, but uh, then talking about the new uh, NAFTA 2.0 slash NAFTA the sequel slash UMSCA. <laughs> USMCA, the US yeah. Mexico Canada agreement, which is just NAFTA rebranded. Yep. Um so and then I thought I thought if we had enough time we could get to Trump at the UN, just some closing thoughts yeah. on, on that. For but sure. uh first uh, first and foremost, um I got I got called out a little bit. Uh, rightfully so. I did not say what I mean. Well, say what I meant. <laughs> no, um, say what you mean. I did not say what I meant. Um or I, whatever, however that works grammatically. Um, no, you did not so say what you meant. I, d- I did not. I did not. Uh, so last I did not. W- I did not. Uh, so in in the episode last week, I I spoke about um, Elizabeth Warren's assertion. Uh, she had an argument that she's you know to, in order to she had she, anyway there was this ar- she did an interview where she's talked about how she wants to save more the market economy and she wanted to in one of her proposals to do this one of the things she said she brought up in the interview was mm-hmm. that um all large corporations would have to it would be a government mandate that they would have to surrender 30 percent of their board of trust like their their, their decision making board mm-hmm. like 30 percent stake right. in the company um to the work to workers in that corporation mm-hmm. um i i know that this isn't socialism I believe that I did not clarify my statements well enough, right? And I probably, and it may have, ins- and it, I think it did insinuate that I was calling it socialist mm-hmm. because it's not socialist and it's not a command economy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a listener of, of our podcast, a, a good a good friend of ours, and uh, she pointed it out that uh, it's not a command economy, and she's a hundred percent right. Right, it's not a command economy because even though it is intrusion of by the government into the into uh, into private business, mm-hmm. it's not in itself being like the decision making of that corporation is not being controlled by the government. Right. Therefore it's not a command economy. hundred percent right. agree. I've been harping on um, keeping your definitions straight <laughs> and calling what is and what isn't socialism. So I failed to do that. I failed mm-hmm. to clarify what I was saying. Right. I, I know that it's not socialism, Right. but I was talking about how social Democrats not social democrats, but dem- people who are calling themselves democratic socialists yeah. in the United States are transferring, are starting to shift their ideology, or at least the policies, at least through uh, analyzing the policies that they're arguing for, is starting to um, show a shift in their stated ideology. So mm-hmm. you can you can you can kind of interpret through what they're what they want as a as a policy in in economics. You can start to see a shift in their ideology. I think where I where I was wrong last week is that I didn't clarify that this isn't socialist, but it does show a shift in ideology of democratic socialists. I think that's fair. Okay, yeah. so that's I just wanted to I wanted I think I I owe it to our listeners to to have that kind of mea culpa to say hey this really isn't socialism. <laughs> so if you got that from what I what I, what I said last week, uh, I am sorry. So that's uh, that's just me clearing the air on that one. Thanks, Donna. Yes, thank you, Doctor Sinclair. <laughs> I've been Donna. I'm supposed <laughs> to call you Donna. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, a a uh, one of our one of our great professors at the at yeah. WSU Vancouver um, pointed that out, and and so thank you, thank you for uh, for keeping me honest and uh, and 
and making me say what I mean. And thank you for listening. And thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, so I think now we can move. I now that I've I've gotten that off of my shoulders. Yes. Because you, I was at first I was texting. I was like, oh, I didn't say that. And then I started thinking. I was at work yesterday. I'm like, oh, I probably did. I probably didn't clarify. And I was, I was thinking back <laughs> when I said it. I'm like, all right. So like you can like Jeff has a text message of like my oh my, yeah my progression of. No, I didn't say that. Wait, I may have. I might have. Okay, yes, I did. I'll, yep. I'll apologize yep. tomorrow. So that's uh, that's how that went. That's uh, how all your texts are. Like, uh, even with The Watchmen, you're like, I hate this movie. Okay, maybe I'm sorry. Oh, my God, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it just takes me a little while to get there. It's all right, I'm but I love, hard, I love watching your emotions documented through my text <laughs> messages. All right. So, uh, so now moving on to lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're, uh, I'm so who you've told me who CJ it's is. Jen's cousin. Jen's cousin. Okay. Yeah. You have a lot of, fa- you have a lot of Jen's family. Yes. That she's got a massive podcast, family and so they do listen. I, All I, her cousins are always listening. They are probably the most active in commenting, like texting me about mm-hmm. our episodes and giving feedback. And, um, this is something that CJ asked, you know, it'd be interesting if we discussed it. So. Yeah, no, I, I think it's very good because obviously it's topical, right? Right. We we have um, we've had two Supreme Court seats um, uh, appointed by. Well, we have two two Supreme Court seats that will be filled by mm-hmm. this president. Whether right. it's the current guy who is under investigation right now mm-hmm. gets that seat, or eventually somebody else, this president is going to have have filled two vacancies on the Supreme Court. Right. So it it, it is a um, it's definitely topical. Um, you know about putting these putting these people who are seemingly flawed. I mean, Clarence Thomas, who was um, who was appointed um, mm-hmm. by Reg by President Reagan, um, or was it President H. W. Bush? I can't remember who did Clarence Thomas. I'm looking up. Okay, um, so it's one of those. It's, uh, it was either Reagan or H. W. Bush, mm-hmm. but Clarence Thomas went through the same kind of sexual assault allegations, and it was a very partisan ide- ideological vote. Oh. That pushed Clarence Thomas through. Uh-huh. Um, so it's uh, so obviously we kind of see history once again kind of coming back, coming back around uh, with this current with Brett Kavanaugh's uh, nomination to the Supreme Court and all of this, all of the proceedings that have that have that have followed. Anyway, so I did some research and I was like, what are some arguments out there that? Why do we have a nomination? Why do we have us? Why do we have lifetime appointments to the Supreme Court? That seems kind of ridiculous, um, because especially it's because no other nation in the world that I'm aware of, like any other democracy, has lifetime appointments to the to the Supreme Court. H. W. Bush. It was H. W. Yeah. Bush. Okay, I knew it was early. I was like, it's either late '80s or early '90s. Um, so anyway, um, so I I got to looking and for my. Um, so this is the this is the, I just want to let it known this is the kind of research I do for our listeners. So I went and pulled up, um, Sorry, went to try to go to original documents here, uh, okay. and I went to the Federalist Papers, okay. um, specifically one written by uh, by Alexander Hamilton. So right. in the Federalist Paper number seventy eight, Hamilton wrote, "The standard of good behavior for the continuance in office of the judicial magistracy is certainly one of the most valuable of the modern improvements in the practice of government." In a monarchy, it is an excellent barrier to the deposition of the prince. In a republic, it is no less excellent barrier to the encroachments and oppressions of the representative body. And it is to the best expedient which can be devised by any government to secure a steady, upright, and impartial administration of the laws. So basically what it's saying is by giving an appo- a lifetime appointment, mm-hmm. judges are, are, by, are a lot less apt to wanting to 
um, appease the current executive in, in, in power because they're not right. having to worry about being reappointed. They're not right. having to worry about making anybody happy. They can just, they're there right. no matter what, unless they're impeached by Congress. Mm-hmm. There is there is a process of removing somebody who's on the court. It's not like right. once they get there, they're completely absolved from anything. Of course, they can, There is a checks and yeah. balance. But the, the founders saw the lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court as a check on executive power. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about appeasing or appeasing a president or worrying about making them upset and mm-hmm. being replaced. Because historically, um, as my research pointed out, in England, this was directly um, came from their, the, the founders' experience with the English courts that any time the king was upset with with the judges, he could just absolve the absolve the court mm-hmm. and and put his cronies and put cronies right. back on the right. bench. So this was this is an ex- this is a check on the other branches of government, but it's also a check on the you know tyranny of the masses. Right. So because yes. you have a lifetime appointment, judges are less likely to give in to waves of emotion mm-hmm. and become super partisan because they see like a whole bunch of people. Screaming at the f- at the you know at the foot of the Supreme Court mm-hmm. steps, saying they want this, they want that. Right. They're not going to be swayed because they don't have to worry about re-election. They don't have right. to worry about getting. Um, they don't. They so basically, what this is is it's a it's a check both on on what can happen with public opinion when you have elected officials, mm-hmm. but it's also a check on our other branches of government. Right. So that's kind of that's my uh, very long-winded uh, explanation of why. Our founders thought right. that it was uh, it was necessary. I'm curious about your thoughts. Like what? What do you I'm think? just thinking about possible arguments against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that CJ and I kind of talked about is maybe a hindrance on progression, um, social progression. Um, so maybe you know we've seen them make rulings on on social issues um, that maybe went on a little too long. Um, in society and when you had this this need for change. Um, but then, like you said, it also does kind of put the brakes on other things mm-hmm. like, you know, checking the, the executive branch and stuff. Yeah. So I think that's the only thing I can think of um, as maybe, you know, if you're there and you're comfortable and you're settled, it, it's this this position is specifically the Supreme Court is is a little different. Yeah, I think you have more of an argument um, when people get upset about maybe Congress term limits mm-hmm. and kind of there is a little bit of a safety net there, yeah. and I think that people get a little frustrated with that. Yes. which I get. That's fine. I think Supreme Court's a little different. Um, I think the what you've explained outweighs shortening those terms mm-hmm. or making them limited yeah um but that's the only thing i can think of yeah i, I um i definitely get what you're saying mm-hmm. um my retort to that would yeah. be it's not the court it's not wasn't the original intent of the court right. to weigh in on social issues to right. be that the, to be the the tool for social change yes that should be done by the congress right and then the Supreme Court interpret that law to make sure it's unconstitutional. Right. And over time, we've seen the politicization Mm -hmm. of our court Mm -hmm. by both parties. Right. Well, I'm thinking like slavery. Yes, but where was the where was the Thirteenth and Fourteenth Amendment originally passed? Yeah. In this in the in the House of Representatives and then by the Senate. Yeah. 
So well, that's where yeah. social change needs to start is with the Congress. That's a representative of the people. Okay. The judiciary is only there to interpret whether it's constitutional. Or right, not. right, right. And because right. it was done through an amendment process, it was constitutional. Mm-hmm. Is there, I don't know this, and this is terrible, but was it ever like, was there anything ever proposed to them that they declined? That it, may be a social issue? Um, gosh, I mean, how far? Okay, I, we well, well, like, what about gay marriage? Has that been proposed by them and them declined it i i don't know yeah that history yeah but i know they've recently ruled right 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 right. so i'm just curious of let's just say hypothetically there's an issue that gets there that is something like that like gay marriage not say that but let's say that something like that and they've you know i don't know maybe the interpretation is unconstitutional but then 20 years from now whatever this proposed legislation is is brought and then they're like you know what now that we're looking at it through these eyes, the the contemporary eyes of our analysis of the Constitution, but that's, it is that's not the intent of the courts, though. I understand that, but I'm just I'm just playing devil's advocate. I know I know you are I know you are, and I'm and I'm trying to push back against right, that right. argument because that's a fair argument. That's an argument that you hear. Right, that's why it, I'm and making it's, it, and it's and it's seemingly a fair argument. I, I would right. say it, it's it's um, it's a way a lot of people, I think, feel for sure, and and. Honestly, in the in the era of instant gratification, what's the fastest way to get your ideological um, beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, answered through policy or right. answered through government? It's through the judiciary, right? And but that over time, mm-hmm. going to the judiciary to get certain social acts like passed, right, may have been good in the short run. Uh-huh. But if you look at what it's done to the long run of our yeah. of, of of our courts, yeah. they become incredibly politicized, right? And I think the Supreme Court is just a microcosm of that. It just happens to play out on the biggest stage because it's the it's the biggest it's the it's the top court in the land. Right. But this is this is bled all the way through to the lower courts. Mm-hmm. Um, Senate Senate my, uh, Majority Leader McConnell, uh, Senate, Senator McConnell, he's I mean with with the holding up of Merrick Garland's confirmation. Mm-hmm. But not only did that, but he held up the appointments of lower courts under the Obama appointments to yeah. lower court positions on the Obama administration, all because of ideological beliefs and wanting to put. Ideological, what people who align ideologically with them in the courts, yeah, and you can see how over time you're you're you view the judiciary as a tool to get your your yes. I- ideology passed, right? You start to see it become a more of a mechanized. It's become the the courts have become more mechanized, right? Than they are than they ever really for should sure. have been, for sure. Um, I mean, George uh, was it George C. Marshall, um, the f- the very like the very first Supreme Court Chief Justice, mm-hmm. he. You know, he ruled against. He was a uh, he was a federal he was a federalist judge, mm-hmm. but he ruled he ruled against. How did that work? But he ruled against. Um, I- ideologically, he believed in a lot of what uh, Andrew Jackson was trying to do, but because he helped, because he believed so much in um, that the contracts being so you know the highest amount of like sanctity in the in the land. Like mm-hmm. if there's a contract signed, like the under law like that is like that should be that should stand against anything else mm-hmm. so when andrew jackson wanted to remove the cherokee the su- supreme the supreme court justice who ideologically really aligned a lot with mm-hmm. andrew jackson you know came out against andrew jackson because he said no the gov- the federal government had signed a contract with the cherokee nation mm-hmm. that this was you know their land and they can't be removed right. from it so it, it's i think you've seen 
a lot different. Such differences now, almost like you have justices that are so aligned to parties, right? That you're seeing these five four splits in almost every decision, right? And that's just not how the court has historically seemed right. to have acted. It's supposed to be interpreting the land of the law of the land. Yeah. So, just to to poke a little bit, but also so like look at the um, I'm thinking now about like uh, Roe v. Wade. Yes. And that's something that a lot of people are talking about. There's already been a ruling on that. People are afraid that that's going to be reversed. So what about... People believe that Kavanaugh is going to be that decided I understand, vote. but what about that law already being interpreted and already being set to Which then be reversed? What does that say about our system? If it's going to be reversed? if Let's just say that's where it's looking. And that's their job, their final say to say, yeah, we're going to reverse that. But it's already been set. Mm -hmm. I just think that obviously that's where a lot of concern is coming from with these appointees. Yeah. That's one thing that people are concerned about. Definitely. Um, but I just think if, if this is the if the the governing body is supposed to be doing this and they've made a ruling based on the law and the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And now, in 2018, 19, 20, they're going to reverse that judgment because of who's in there. Uh, that's what I'm seeing as far as, like, just hypothetical situation, obviously. But I'm just think of that being a reflection of, in this case, I, I'm, I'm going to say social regression because there's already been a, a set precedent on that. And now they're deciding, actually, we're going to take that back. Mm -hmm. And now this is our interpretation, and it's unconstitutional. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, what happens if if the Supreme Court has, you know, came to the point where it's it's reversing old precedent? Right. Yeah, I don't really have an answer for that one. Yeah. Because um, I think that's the issue. That's the problem. Is is and and also you and I have talked about. This administration, more specifically, this president aims for short-term gains, and I I've think I've made that argument yes. quite a bit. Yeah, and and there are parts of, and there are cases historically and opinions and and ideas that Kavanaugh has expressed that you could look at why Trump has appointed him for short-term gains, mm -hmm. especially if there's a uh, legal attack on him. Yes. So you know. Th that might just be the reason why he's choosing Kavanaugh mm -hmm. is, again, for that short-term gains. We've seen just the way that Trump behaves, and that, that could be his oh, definitely. motive. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be – it's it'll be interesting. I think Kavanaugh just – I mean, I, I don't like defending the guy. Right. Um, but what he has said in the past before all these allegations came mm -hmm. out and, and while he's been on the, on the bench um, – he is he has said that um Roe v. Wade is established law. Right. And um I mean we I guess we you can you can not take him at his word or you, you we can look at other things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just I don't it's yeah, it's hard to say. It's really right. hard to say. And and I think we're gonna continue to see five four splits yeah. on our on our court. Yeah. I don't know. It just this is why you. This is why the election to the executive branch 
our president. <laughs> this is why you vote. Right. Right. Exactly. Be- because the as part of the check on the judiciary is that the ex- that the the president gets to appoint and the and then the the legislature confirms. Right. And when you have a party that has become so partisan. Mm-hmm. On both sides, right, and we've become so sectional right. in our political discourse and our political rhetoric and our political culture is so sectionalized, is so f- fractured mm-hmm. that it's almost like, oh, w- we know Kavanaugh's not a good guy, right? We just don't care, right? We do, we exactly. we, we want to use him as a tool, yes, to push our ideology exactly. on others. It's us versus those libtards, right? Or it's <laughs> it's us liberals versus those you know baby killing conservatives, right? So it's like, um. It's just, it's just but also it, to to kind of piggyback on that, that's why your co- electing congressmen and representatives is so important as well, because that is a check. If you, as a society, you want your voice to be heard, and you want certain decisions to made to be made socially, I think that is the more. I mean, I think it's supposed to be more representative of the people. So, if you don't want these laws flipped or changed or turned, and you want other things pushed forward the senate and the congress that's where those laws are made to then be pushed forward to eventually i guess the um what am, the court yeah so yes uh, just to piggyback it is important to vote for the president yes but also your representative is going to ho- hopefully be the voice of representation of the people yeah so washington, I, washington has Two votes right. to deciding who gets on the Supreme Court. Right. And that's why it's incredibly important that you cast your vote in a way that, you know, you you, you believe is important. Mm-hmm. But also to hold up some standards. Yes. You know, to not just pick somebody solely because they're a Democrat. Right. Look how many people have been voted in office just solely because they were a Republican. They're just right. solely there because they were Democrats. Just look at the Senate Judiciary Committee. I look at you know we've talked about what Kamala Harris has you mm-hmm. know has done mm-hmm. on on this p- specific judiciary committee um presiding over k- the Kavanaugh hearings. Right. But then you look at like um Chuck Grassley and you look at uh Lindsey Graham and their actions mm-hmm. on this on yeah. through these through this whole process and you're just like we're better than this as yeah. a nation. Yeah. We just have to be yeah. better than this and it's just it Kavanaugh is a microcosm of the circus that is the Trump administration yes. that has leaked through our political discourse, mm-hmm. and I just, I'm I'm upset. We're off topic. Um, <laughs> I would st- even even still, yeah. With with yes, it, it it looks like Kavanaugh is going to be um, appointed to the Supreme Court. Okay. That's just the way that the political winds mm-hmm. are 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 going. It's galvanized. It's it's amazing. It's how much. He has galvanized the Republican base ahead of these midterms. Mm-hmm. That polling, uh, different polling companies have shown a twelve-point bump in Republicans believing that this midterm election is extremely important. Uh-huh. So um, they're galvan, they're galvanized. The base is galvanized around Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. and so it's just that's just the way it, it looks like it's going to go. Um, I'm excited for the midterms. Midterms will be fun. Yeah. Um, but just as kind of like my last point on the on the Supreme Court, yeah. is that. Even so, even if one guy, this guy, gets mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court, that doesn't, I, I don't believe that that guy alone solely undermines what the the original intent was for lifetime appointments by the to the Supreme Court by our founders. Right. Um, I can read it. There's an, I have another couple of ha- uh, Hamilton quotes, but we don't need to get into it. But... <laughs> um, 
yeah, it, it's it's important. I, I think it, it the lifetime appointments are important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's there's um, trade offs. Right. Uh, the life expectancy in 1787 is not as long yeah. as uh, yeah. as it uh, as it is That's today. That's a good point. So I mean, people maybe lived until their 60s, right? Early 70s, and now we've got Ruth Bader Ginsburg holding on for yeah. how long? Yeah. And Clarence Thomas holding mm-hmm. on for how long? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's there. There are valid arguments right. out there for li- limiting terms, mm-hmm. uh, but I think more or less it should start. If we're going to talk about term limits, it should start with the with the legislative branch, right? More than more right. so than the than the uh, Supreme Court for sure. Anyway, um, so hopefully that uh, that gave you guys something to, s- to think about. Hopefully we um, presented the argument. And if you have well. feedback or ideas or comments, text or message us yeah let me on let us Facebook let us know instagram um, or twitter just sure. send us and, a message and i believe it was george c marshall was the first supreme court justice i may be wrong on that okay if i if i am please mess please message me that i'm, I'm sure our <laughs> history professors dr st Clair, will let me know if i was wrong um two uh two parties so we're moving on to the two party systems um yeah so oh for president for president why there why isn't there a why isn't there two exe- Why isn't there two executives? Um, because it seems like, I, I, what was Stevens? Was it John Jay? Is that what that's saying? Super, uh, Did I Google? Oh, was it John John Jay? Okay, but yeah. uh, okay. So, um, who who was it? Okay, was George C. Marshall? I'll look up George C. Marshall. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. Anyway, um. Two party system. So what was what was Stevens? um, So Stephen is talking about um, just representative representation. So especially he's just thinking about the polarization of Mm -hmm. the two parties and how I mean, he's just saying, you know, if you look at the legislative branch, you have representation from two parties. Okay. so. Suggesting that at that executive branch, you have that representation of the two parties so instead of one guy choosing being put there and what now you know is a popularity contest because this is populism Mm -hmm. then instead of just having that and then having someone just go nope nope this is how it's going to be i'm going to send executive orders you have another person to kind of balance that i think is where he was coming from okay um Interesting thought. I FDR George C. Marshall was the, I think no chief of staff. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Okay, so <laughs> there was, I'm pretty sure it was Marsh. There was a, okay. I'm feeling really dumb. We'll right figure now. it out. There was a, there was a Marshall, the the Supreme Court justice who was in place under Jefferson, uh, uh, Andrew Jackson's term. He was appointed by, I believe. Um, Mm. Madison. <laughs> I, I believe he was appointed under Madison. Okay. And uh was on the Supreme Court forever. Um just look up Supre- we're going to look up the Supreme Court. Pay no attention to a stalling for time here. Um Wow, I wasn't even close. Um Really was it Tanny? <laughs> God. Was that you don't even know what you're talking John about. John Marshall. It was Marshall. Okay. It was John Marshall. Okay. okay. It wasn't George C. Marshall. John Marshall. John Marshall. Okay. Okay. It was John Marshall. I got the last name right. Embarrassing. Well, at least I'm close. Um, 
So my history degree really working for me here. Second place, baby. <laughs> second place out of four <laughs> teams. Um, two party. So the two party system. Why don't we have two executives? Um, right. The I logistically it yeah. would be a nightmare. Yeah. Um. Why? Well, okay. So when you have a go- when you have a go when you have government and you're trying in the the, the the process of government is trying to promote cooperation and collective action amongst a bunch of individuals. Mm-hmm. And in order, f- it's through studies, especially through uh, political psychology, st- psych- political psychological studies, um, in-group dynamics work best, especially when you have a broad diversity of individuals. And the larger the group gets, the more important you have, the, the more structure that you have in place in that society or that group to foster that cooperation and make sure people aren't, you know, breaking into faction you know factualism factionism Mm -hmm. so in order for cooperation and collective action at the societal level especially at a society as large as the united states a single executive is needed otherwise you risk society falling Mm -hmm. into you know the effects of anarchy the effects of anarchy would be would be heightened because you have you would have two executives which you would still have the loyalties to that party without a single person giving direction right to the decision making of the of the of the nation. Right. So I think you would you would run the risk of of our society falling even further into into that like sectionalism. Right. Yeah. Um that was kind of my thoughts is you're gonna have a split idea or ideology yeah. between the two. You would almost need if you're gonna add more, add two more so that yeah. there's a third person in there to help break you, that you split. You need that you need that strong one of the one of the key factors I, I sent you that it was by uh, Barbara Corminos. It's mm-hmm. called Rational Design of Inter- of International Institutions. Mm-hmm. And this fits at the domestic level way more than it probably fits at the international level okay. because it's much easier at the domestic level because you have a government that has a monopoly on power whether that doesn't exist at the international level right but it's incredibly important to have that strong executive i think that's why a lot of people who believe in hegemonic stability theory at the international level and why cooperation often fails at the international level is because you don't have that strong that strong central decision maker who can come down and and when you have Mm -hmm. when you have uh different differing opinions between both the republican and democratic party you can have that one sole executive come down and say no right this is this is the way it's going to go i understand now obviously you hope you have a a responsible respectable person who can gain legitimacy (laughs) at that executive executive position um but in the in the if in the executive loses its its ability to become legitimate through the through the use of uh, of you know of poor planning of favoritism bias that kind of stuff, but a, a, an executive uh, through studies when the people have d- have done in group out group dynamics especially the in in group construction they found that groups have done significantly better in groups that had an elected. Uh, had a, mm-hmm. had a leader of some mm-hmm. kind, mm-hmm. and and the leaders that had the most effect in this were leaders that were elected, um, leaders that were elected democrat through a democratic process mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. their group. Those right. are, those are, those show those groups in these in these different studies had shown the most amount of show the most efi- efficiency mm-hmm. in the most like um, in group cooperation right. um, for people working towards a collective goal. Okay. So it's it's almost like you um, human nature not human nature but human psychology needs that strong. Um, that strong executive to help kind of quell what would normally be forces that could tear apart cooperation right. within a group. Um, so I think that that is one way to look at the need for a single executive, the first single executive. Right. If you want to look historically at it, um, we could analyze the, the articles of confederation, which were the, the like the law Whoa, of the land dude. prior Going to, back. The, <laughs> before the U S constitution, right. when the exec, when the federal government was, 
um, in terms of like the hierarchy, the states were p- placed over the federal government, right? And the in within the federal government, which was already um, which was already weakened by state power, mm-hmm. the executive was incredibly weak, mm-hmm. um, and you had states, different s- states factions, constantly fighting each other over trade, um, over uh, over trade rights, over you know is you had commerce between the states completely um was it was in complete shambles because each state wanted to impose tariffs on each state coming through you had mm-hmm. different states wanting to fight wars over each other over different over different property rights and different state state boundaries mm-hmm. so having that st- having that strong executive was something that the founders knew was necessary in order to keep the union um of these different of these different states in order to keep the republic right. working it needed to have a strong executive right does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Do you yeah. have any thoughts? Um, I had one, but I just lost it when you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'm just thinking about... Oh, yeah. Um, you and I have talked a little bit about, you know, not on the podcast, but, I mean, uh, just the growing overreach of power that the president has had since mm-hmm. World War II. It's concerning. So it maybe that's just... I'm not saying that that's Stephen's argument because it's not, but I'm just saying that that maybe that's an element of concern. You have the the system of checks and balances, but now you have a growing power in that position, um, and just the continuous growth of executive orders being signed, um, which I just think is something that people need to be aware of, but also concerned about. Yeah. Um, but overall, in this, you know, we're talking about this leader making those decisions, and you're going to have this polarization that we have today, there are, there is a system of checks and balances in place to kind of rein that person back mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. if they go too far. So that's my only thought on that. I yeah. mean, just uh, definitely it's, I'm, I'm sure. And I know, I know what it's like to be told, you know, just, and I know you feel this way, but trust in the system, mm-hmm. you know, have faith in the system. Uh, it wasn't until I took that poli sci class that I was just like, oh, okay, now I now I see how this works. Sure. Now I get it. Yeah. Now this makes sense. Now I can. Now I want. Now I felt comfortable, honestly, in in voting. I never really felt comfortable or informed enough to to make to to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said before, I used to be like, f the government. They don't care about me. What does my vote really mean? And you hear people say that and yeah. talk that way. Well, it's why we have such poor voter turnout. Right. So, if you don't know, educate yourself and learn because there is a system in place to 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 limit everybody in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. um, whether that's your representative, the president, or the courts. There is there's limits on all of those things. Um, and I only say that because I'm thinking about, you know, now somebody being like, OK, yeah, I'm going to go vote. Well, even if you're all everybody votes for the same thing and you are pushing an agenda and you want that agenda or that legislation to be passed. There are checks on that. OK, so, you know, to put to, to, to sit in your seat as a devil's yeah. advocate here, you could make I've heard the, the argument um, put forward that. Right. As our society grows in complexity, mm-hmm. technological advancements that our founders could have never 
even dreamed about. Right. Our system, um, as the United as their economy and political system becomes more globalized, uh-huh. the need our our founders set up our political system to be slow and methodical on right. purpose. Right. It's supposed to take a long time to get to a consensus. Okay. Is is it possible that in today's needs a a stronger more um a stronger proportionately executive branch who has the ability to make decisions more quickly in mm-hmm. real time mm-hmm. is it needed in today's is it needed in today's society or can or can we or is it more is, or should we put aside the the needs of the short term yeah and to keep the long term perspective i can't help but think of military action when you're talking about mm-hmm. that you know yeah it's I, so advanced now that uh if something is happening you need a decision now yeah and that often is the case in in that in that is um why i think at the minimum i i i sup- i did not support president trump i think that's like the basic of the reason why i didn't support mm-hmm. president trump is because the way that the founders set up the limits on the executive branch and mm-hmm. the constitution is that domestically there's all sorts of checks on his right. power to act unilaterally mm-hmm. and i think we've talked about this in the past on other episodes but mm-hmm. there's hard there's very little the president can do other than within exec within bureaucracies of the mm-hmm. executive branch that you know he can make an executive order on the epa he can make an executive order um on on different on different things right on homeland security um and you could argue that the creation of these bureaucracies are unconstitutional because they they're the tools that the executive branch is using to extend that power right so maybe we should check we should rein in some of these bureaucracies mm-hmm. or put some more oversight by the congress on because there is oversight on these on yeah. these different bureaucracies yeah. by the congress but maybe the congress should have more tools at their disposable to check these bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. Um, but are these bureaucracies necessary right. for, for today's society to function in a way that it, that it, that it needs to, but at the international level, there's, it's pretty much free reign for the president right. other than signing treaties that have to be ratified by Congress. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't, uh, the president doesn't really even have to most military engagements. When was the last time that? I mean, obviously Iraq. We uh, the the Senate allowed the United States to enter into right. a war in Iraq, but most engagements since two thousand three haven't needed congressional approval because of the wartime resolution that allows the president to um, to not have to ask Congress for permission to act militarily in another country outside of our borders right. without if unless and uh, for for 60 days. Right. So unless we're engaged in a single conflict for 60 mm-hmm. days, he doesn't have to go to congressional for sure to, to get congressional approval. Right. Um so yeah, I I think it, it that's definitely a it's with already within our the design of our constitution that allows the president to have om- almost virtually free reign um without any checks in the international level and i wonder how that has mm-hmm. bled into how we see the president's role the executive's role within domestic issues that's a good point so yeah. i don't know it, 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 it would be it, it, it's definitely an interesting case study to, to look at mm-hmm. um i constantly have been saying like all since world war ii you've seen the expansion of yes. the executive branch that's and you made that and up. you made yeah. that point and um that's definitely true and is it is it necessary mm-hmm. because you could say like well with certain presidents it worked really well right C- some really great things were were implemented 
by the use of a strong executive, but by the expanding of executive power. Right. You could even say Thomas Jefferson buying the Louisiana, you know, buying the Louisiana territory mm-hmm. from the French from Napoleon mm-hmm. was necessary. Right. It was, it, it was at the time was was lauded by was not la- it was lauded by by the Democratic Republicans, but the Federalists were like, well, you just became a Federalist, like right. right? That's what the strong executive is something we've been arguing for with the Democratic uh, Republicans. With people within his own party were like, oh, was it really that worth it? Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of there's a lot of pushback then. Right. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Right. It, you just, which means, like, so you when you have a good executive, you kind of you kind of have this tendency. We have a tendency as a public to overlook certain transgressions. Mm-hmm. But when you have a guy like Trump, it becomes incredibly glaring. Right. So are we all at fault because we've all been okay at certain times with executive overreaches? Can right. We, are, are we all hypocrites because, well, we're fine if it's it's in the greater good because it aligns with our ideology. Right. So I think that that's, that's, that's a, li- a, good point. a libertarian would say, like, that's why libertarians can be so sti- such sticks in the mud mm-hmm. because they're so principled <laughs> that, like, they're, um, they're like, well, no executive overreaches ever, no matter what the, no matter right. what it's for. So... I mean, I guess I applaud those people a yeah. little bit that they can yeah. stay that ideological pure um, to their beliefs. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting as our society progresses, as it become we become more of a global society. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the role of the executive right. in relation to the other branches of government? Right. So, well, we have some another topic that kind of touches on kind of uh, international relations. Yes. Yeah, so. Uh, Lost in all of this Kavanaugh debacle um, was uh, the the passing of the U.S. Mexico Canada Agreement, yeah. which, if ratified by Congress, if ratified by Congress, if ratified by Congress, when is that vote? The earliest it could happen would be January 2019. Mm. So it's a ways off. Yeah. Um, is it all bad? No. Right. I actually think there are there are some depending on what side of the aisle you fall on. Mm-hmm. I think honestly, if you're a tra- if you're a labor like uh, a labor unionist in Detroit, you're probably pretty happy about this because what it does. One of the provisions of of the USMCA. For mm-hmm. those of you who don't know, it's a, it's the new trade agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada, as the na- as the acronym um, uh, would would assume. But the as me- as the acronym states. And it effectively passed would re- would replace the North American Free Trade Agreement, which was um, which was uh, negotiated under George H. W. Bush and then uh, passed and ratified under Clinton. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's it's set the structure of trade between the United States, Canada, and Mexico since 1993. Right. What that has done is pretty much eliminated barriers to trade. So there's no n- no tariffs. Um, no quotas, no protectionist trade policies, and has allowed basically free trade between these three countries to, f- to flow evenly. There's a lot of ideological reasons why this, why they, why they wanted to pass this. One of them that we've spoke about is that it was uh, supposed to help boost and modernize Mexico's economy to keep um, Mexican immigration from coming to the United States mm-hmm. because if there's job opportunities in Mexico, they don't need to leave to find job opportunities in the United States. That hasn't happened. Um, so there's been there's there's been lots of points of contention from both parties about NAFTA mm-hmm. since its passing. Um, one of the big concerns about a globalizing economy is that it leaves domestic workers in certain industries marginalized. Right. 
and you could see with NAFTA, the argument was, well, that's what happened. That's why this, the, Amer- the American auto industry has been so decimated was because of NAFTA and a lot of those companies seeking cheaper labor in Mexico. Right. Um, a lot of that actually is more to do with automation than it does mm. uh, people leaving to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Actually, the bigger proportion of job loss in, in, in American auto industry has actually been more do- due to automation than it was seeking cheaper labor in Mexico. But what the new new USMCA does is that it it creates for all imported vehicles to have to meet a um, pr- they have to have a it's there's a country of origin requirement. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a, a car being imported from Mexico or a car being imported from Canada. Mm-hmm. Now it has to have a certain number of parts made in the United States. Okay. So that's gonna that will create that's supposedly supposed to create more jobs. Um, and then the the other part is it is that all um, all auto manufacturers now have to guarantee a sixteen dollar minimum wage, oh, wow. which helps unions because unions t- typically are paying more. Right. That now boosts the 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 wage that union that union members would mm-hmm. make. So there's people that the the pro USMCA articles that I've read has said right. that Trump has actually now done more for labor for the auto labor unions than the Democrats have had since NAFTA passed because mm-hmm. he actually he's now boosted their 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 net income and created more jobs through the parts the origin the the country of origin um, stipulation right the other the other plus is that because we've I think I've talked about this as well is that Canada has been allowed to maintain high protectionism on their dairy market uh-huh. and w- the USMCA under its new under the new provision should it pass allows more entry of US um, dairy sellers into the Canadian market mm. so it lifts up a little bit of that right. most of that protectionism is still in place but it does open it up for what is called type 3 dairy products so like <laughs> um <laughs> uh, <laughs> like certain like uh, byproducts of dairy now have more f- more access to Canadian markets. Okay. Versus just like whole like two percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be more. T- it's going to be more of like um, lactose kind of interesting um, products. Hmm. So that's there. Mo- there's marginal benefits right to this. Mm-hmm. M- other than that, the majority of the NAFTA's structure, right, the skeleton of NAFTA mm-hmm. is pretty much entirely right. intact it didn't completely just change anything mm-hmm. so you have to ask are these marginal benefits worth what it took to get them which was placing unprecedented tariffs on our closest trade allies right basically ruining the relationship between trudeau between canada and the yeah. united States. Well, not ruining but really hurt damaging yeah. our relationship with canada right now you're going to be less likely to be able to use to get Canada to go along with you on other matters yeah. going forward. Negotiations are going to be extremely more tough. Right. So you're looking at the long-term effects of this new deal. Right. Yes, you got a little bit of a win that you mm-hmm. can say, "Look, look at me. Like I am po- I'm politically like this is a political win for Trump because he can go out there and spin it all certain different ways that he wants to." For sure. And and, and I have a hard time giving him credit for Oh, oh it's at least he didn't go completely like nuclear and tear up NAFTA and didn't replace it with anything. <laughs> so at least he like, Yeah, kept that's the it. standard. At least he kept the status quo. Yeah. You don't get I'm sorry, you don't get credit for keeping the status quo. Right, right. Especially when most of the fire the fire was started by you to begin with. For sure. 
So that's th- that's my my take on that's kind of my quick take on it. Yeah. What about you? Would you have any thoughts? Um. What about that? Uh, that provision. Um. That kind of is directed towards China. Which one are you referring so to? So there is one provision. Um. That let me find the exact part I'm talking about here. So, um, if one of the three countries enters into uh, a deal with a, a country outside of the three, mm-hmm. they have to give notice to the other two, and then the other two, I think, have a decision on whether or a say on whether you can go outside of those three. Okay. Um, oh, let's see. Okay, the agreement requires any country in the pact to give three months' notice to other parties if it is entering into negotiations with a non-market economy. Um, and this article is arguing that that is specifically targeting uh, China. China. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's been a lot of arguments that Trump has been a has been a very has been. It's not an argument. It's you can see it that he's very critical of china of the global well no just but the (laughs) global structure of of the of of trade Trade, world world trade organization but he's been much more in favor of of ruin of like doing away with the with the with the global trade Mm -hmm. structure and going at it trying to reinvent trade those people who are arguing <laughs> that Trump is playing this 3D chess game, yeah, that he is in he's actually what he's doing is he, he his ideology is creating regional trade mm-hmm. uh, trade organizations and then and then those who are not within your region seeking out bilateral trade agreements, right? But always with the thought that the United that the United States is going to be placed first within those trade agreements, yeah, but because his his the way he sees trade is fundamentally flawed. The the sole indicator of whether you're winning on trade is not trade deficit. Right. That can't be your only. That cannot be your only barometer. That cannot right. be your only measuring stick because that's just not how trade works. Right. Um. There's so many other factors to mm-hmm. see if you're winning on trade. Yes, you may have a trade deficit with China because you're importing so many cheap consumer goods. Mm-hmm. But you're but with another country, you have a huge surplus because they are in need of your tech of your of your tech and right. and, and post industrial outputs right like your service sector economy so it's that's just it's such a it's such a backwards way of looking at trade Mm -hmm. but you can see now how his ideology is starting to manifest in in policy right because now we've had two he's been in office for two years a lot of his policies are now becoming enacted and you can see where the root of his where how he sees the world starting to enact in policies yes he wants to use he want in everything i've read is that he wants to use this the negotiation uh, of uh, his trade, U.S. trade representative Lighthizer, to use this exact blueprint to then renegotiate trade with China. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been much easier if he hadn't pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but w- that's that boat sailed his yeah. first week in office. Yeah. Um, it just it seems like every time this guy does something, he he's this is not. I don't necessarily think this is a terrible. The USMCA is not a terrible move. Right. Of all the things he's done. We did. We did. If you're looking at purely as a tra- on a transactional basis, yeah. the United States came out on top over Mexico and Canada marginally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. It's it's interesting. I'm thinking about like you had said. He kind of um, he starts these fires and then gets credit for putting them out. Yeah. Um. And he's going to be able to spin these things 
as victories. So alone, just the title, the USMCA, America first. And he's going to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you his supporters are going to be like, well, you know, NAFTA was a terrible deal. It was the worst deal ever made. They're going to regurgitate everything he's ever said and then say, but guess what? We have USMCA now and Trump did that for us. Yeah. Structurally, it's almost the same. Yeah. Marginally, the United States does better. But like you said, there's a damage to that soft power that the United States had. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's a, and its ability to exert itself and in its ability to reach cooperation and agreements with other nations. Right. Because he is so far, he's so marginalized right. our ability to work. You can't get anything done internationally without a co- without collection. Right. Without a collective action. Right. And you've now damaged. Mexico has not been a player on the international stage for right. a long time. That may change over with now Lope, with Lopez Obrador. Mm-hmm. He's he's uh, brought in a cabinet who's very foreign policy minded, getting right. Mexico right. uh, getting Mexico back onto the international stage. Right. Um, but because it hasn't really since the end of World War Two, but Canada is a major player. They're a part of the G7. They're part of NATO, and you've basically, and I don't, I, I don't know, I don't. You, everybody can make their own decisions, right? And historically, NAFTA has given us a point five percent, one percent boost to our GPA, mm-hmm. our, our GPA, GPA, <laughs> our, GDP? our GDP, yeah. Um. And so you can say, okay, well, if you now you've got maybe you can add an extra 0.2 percent right. of G, of GDP mm-hmm. to to our our trade agreements with with uh, Mexico and Canada, right? But you're going, to, but we don't know what's going to happen with our ability to uh, to reach agreements with the EU. We don't know what's going to happen to our ability right. to reach um, trade agreements now with the Pacific Rim because the TPP had 11 Pacific. The TPP that he said was the worst deal ever passed mm-hmm. was our, you know, it was. Uh, negotiated for years under the Obama administration, included 11 um, key uh, regional players in the Pacific Rim that could be used to balance against China. Right. So now you're not going to, you know, you can go and try to find bilateral trade agreements. I read a good, there was a really good article kind of in favor of the USMCA through the Council on Foreign Relations Mm -hmm. saying that, okay, well, yes, he pulled out of the TPP, but what he's done now is reached a bilateral trade agreement, redoing trade with, with South Korea. He's, um, India has now come to the table looking for a bilateral trade agreement. Mm -hmm. Um, but what happens when you need to get all of those, countries collectively together right and to be able to use that as a balancing a balancing um coalition against a rising expansionist china right it's going to be much harder to do that For the sure. tpp had that that collective action principle under underlying it that i think would have just fostered much more sustainable growth mm-hmm. and sustainable economic conditions right over the long term so I don't know. I, it's it's so early and it's so in its infancy, and it may not right. even pass. Right. I, uh, Senator Corrin from Texas, mm-hmm. he's a second ranking ranking Republican in the Senate. He said this has got all this thing has a long way to go before being ratified. He mm. was skeptical of it. Right. He, um. He's a known free trader, so it, right. it's going to be interesting to For see. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it's, but it's definitely fun to l- to listen to. And I needed a break from the Kavanaugh crap. <laughs> it was bumming me out, and yeah. I'm like I just need to go back to where I find stuff really fun, which is uh, analyzing trade. Yeah. So this was nerd, <laughs> super nerd, super nerd. <laughs> but yeah, that's yeah. uh, that's kind of what I've got. Cool. Um, we have a little bit of time left. I wanted to touch on some things, some fun things that I had had on my mind. Okay, let's do it. <sighs> so as you know, um, 
I've been watching How I Met Your Mother. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm on season two. Um, I'm into it. I'm into it. It's not my favorite show ever, but I'm constantly wanting to find out little things about the characters, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm invested in the characters. Um, for example, uh, Robin's stupid dogs. The whole time, she's got like a million dogs, and I'm like, why the hell does she have so many fucking dogs? Mm-hmm. And I was honestly thinking like yesterday, um, or two days ago, I was like, man, why she got so many dogs? I was like, you know what? They'll address it. Just wait. And I was like, maybe they addressed it in the first episode. Maybe they didn't. Maybe I should go back. I'll just wait. And then I just watched the episode where um, stuff is yeah. what the episode mm-hmm. is. And they're getting rid of um, stuff from their exes. And she says she got all these dogs from her exes. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, dumb episode. Waste of an episode. It but was a bad episode. <laughs> I, that's an episode that I constantly skip Yeah, watching the show. Not good. It's not good. But... Um, it explained that part. Have you seen the episode where they're moving in together? No, they just announced it at the end of stuff. Okay, so, so this I think next, it's the next one. This next episode yeah. is one of the greatest. Okay. It's definitely top three within the season. Okay. And season two is loaded with good episodes. Yeah. Um, so far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It has some duds, like, yeah. the, like stuff. stuff. Yeah. But it has, for the most part, the ending of season two when Marshall and, Bar- uh, Marshall and, and Lily's wedding yeah is so good okay it's so good okay yeah um so i know because of you guys spoiling it for me because i said i would never watch it that in the end um barney and robin end up together uh well yeah. well they marry each other that's yes, the point yeah, they do okay marry each so that's the point i'm trying to make mm-hmm. early in this show i could see them together even with the way that barney is mm-hmm. they're just She's kind of cold. Yeah. Um, and he is the way he is. I can just see them being together. Mm-hmm. So uh, knowing that, that that comes later, I could I totally get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really liked the Ted's girlfriend. The Victoria. The baker. Yeah. Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked that. They ruined it. Of course. <laughs> they they had to. But yeah. Um, and well, you and I had talked prior to the podcast. But she she comes back in later. Oh, in in the later seasons, uh-huh. I think it's season seven. Oh wow! And it's you, they, I didn't they didn't change their uh-huh. her character. Her right. character pretty much stays the same. Right, being critical of because she always says like, didn't she? Okay, never mind. So he sees her. <laughs> he sees her like in season six. Okay, and then she comes back in more on a permanent basis mm-hmm. in season seven, and. You see how it would have never worked between them two. The, between oh, those okay, two. okay. And it's it's much. It, it kind of brings a little bit of closure because okay. you're kind of like you're like, oh, they were perfect together, and right? And screwed it up. To, yeah, because he lied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was mad that she wasn't calling him back. Or yeah. Whatever. And so okay, yeah, good. That, yeah, they, okay. they they address it later in the season. Yeah. There's very little from the first few seasons mm-hmm. that doesn't get addressed. Okay. That unfortunately that kind of adherence to making sure that there's no loose ends right kind of falls by the wayside right. as the as the series progresses mm. into the later seasons it definitely takes a noticeable decline after season 6 okay. i would say okay. and there are good moments right. after season 6 that make the show worth watching because okay. you're so invested in the characters right, right. but the the tone of the show 
the direction of the show, you could tell that they were they were trying to limp to the finish line, and mm. it just they it just it yeah, gets I to mean, the point where it said. gets kind of a right re- it, it almost just is like uh, it's ended already. It's like uh, did you watch Prison Break? Uh yeah yeah it's like the end of Prison Break it's like we got to find a way to end this. Mm-hmm. Lost like, was the same way. I too. didn't watch okay. Lost. You're you're lucky. Um, so I text you. Uh, one thing I want to say about How I Met Your Mother though, I we talked about it a little bit beforehand, mm-hmm. but I can't stand Ted. Yeah, I, I get <laughs> I get that. He drives me crazy. He he when he becomes a professor of architecture. Oh no! Is his best? I okay, think okay. it's really funny. Okay. His first episode of. Hit the first the episode where he starts teaching his uh-huh. first day of teaching uh-huh. is so funny because okay. especially with our kind of our a little our background right you'll find it hilarious okay so. okay I'm excited okay uh, I like Brian Cranston as well yes as uh, as his boss yes yeah so good mm-hmm. I love Brian and, Cranston and he keeps, so much and he makes some cameos later in the, Does in the he? series I oh really good yeah I love him um I text you uh and asked you if you had been watching Arrested Development yes. And I'm upset that I've taken I had taken so long <laughs> to get started on that show. How do you feel about it? It's funny, dude. I, I'm still trying to warm up to Tobias. I'm, uh-huh. I think I'm kind of like I feel about Tobias as you feel about Ted. Okay. Um, it's it's a good show, but it's like that one character is just kind of like kind of like right. dragging it back. How me far a bit. are you in? I'm not particularly that far. Oh, okay. I've just got to the point where uh, where um. I always call him Gob because that's what they call him. That's what they called uh, Job on the uh-huh. first, on the very first episode. They said um, the brother Gob mm-hmm. like tried to do a disappearing act with the dad, and yeah. they, they just call him Gob. Yeah. So now I always see him as Gob. Right. But uh, where Job and um, Job and Michael are both trying to date the same girl, mm-hmm. the 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 Hispanic yes uh, actress, yeah, and then so she and then and then. Uh, Who's the who's the uh, who's the youngest bro- who's the youngest brother? Uh, the Buster. Buster. Yeah. All three of them then want to date her. Yes. And then I, <laughs> that's the last episode I watched. Uh, so you haven't got into Hermano? No. Okay. Do you know what Hermano means? Brother. Yes. Okay. No, I have seen that episode. Okay. Okay. When Job's trying to figure out who who Hermano is, uh-huh. dude, that's so good. Yeah, that, I've seen that episode. <laughs> that was that was super funny. So I'm not super far into it right now. I'm right. Like ten or eleven episodes. Yeah. But it's 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 good. Okay. Uh, Tobias, he is. He takes a little while to develop. Um, has he decided he wants to be an actor yet? Okay. Okay. Yeah. He is probably. I don't know. There. Maybe he's an acquired taste. I don't know. In in the most recent season, uh, he has just little things that he does or says that you wouldn't think are funny, but are hilarious to me. So there's a part where in this newest season, they're looking for Buster. And then um, they're trying to figure out, they're talking about um, where Buster is. And Michael uh, walks in, or or there's a scenario where Michael goes, they're talking about, he has him, he has him. And they're talking about whoever has Buster. Mm-hmm. And Michael goes, has who? And Tobias is trying to act like everybody in the family mm-hmm. <laughs> to sharpen his acting skills. And to, to because there's a political run by the family. Um, and so he needs to play the role of the individuals who are missing in public appearances. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so he's working on his Michael and Michael comes in and he's like, has who? And in the background, Tobias just goes, he doesn't say has who he just goes, 
Kazoo. <laughs> it's just, it's so stupid, but it's so funny. Once you understand who he is, mm-hmm. it, it's just like, ugh. So he, he never gives up on his, his goal no. of being an actor? No. Oh, God. And, <laughs> dude, it's it's so good. I can't wait for you to keep going. It drives, um, me, it just drives me nuts that he's married to... Like to Lindsay's character, mm-hmm. Portia Day was it Portia Day Rossi? Yeah, um, because she's super cute. Yeah, and you're like, I don't, I don't buy this because look at that dweeb. Right, but whatever. So, uh, did, yeah, there's a lot. They get into the Fuques a little bit as far as like their family history and, um, dude, just the dynamic between maybe and George Michael. So creepy. <laughs> it's so good, dude. It's so good. Um. Yeah, just keep watching it. Okay. Get through it. I'm on season two of freaking How I Met Your Mother, and they're 19 episode seasons. Yeah, I know. I need to be better. And I've told you before, um, in season three uh, of Arrested Development, they know they're getting canceled, mm-hmm. um, and they were on Fox. So that's important to know because they keep dropping in the dialogue, like, cancellation jokes okay. about Fox mm. canceling them. Um, and it's pretty good. Okay. Uh, season four was on Netflix, and it was rushed. There's some really good parts in it, um, but because of everybody's schedule, they filmed it differently, almost mm. like each episode followed one person, and they barely interacted with each other. It, it was kind of rough. Weird. Um, season five on Netflix. Because it's a family interaction that makes right. that show good. Have you seen them act like chickens? No. Oh, God, okay. All right. <laughs> I gotta keep watching this. Yeah, show. you do. Um, but season five was on Netflix as well, and they got the hint. Like people were pissed that there was no interaction. It was very mm-hmm. independent based. So they have everybody back. What's interesting is Jeffrey Tambor. He wasn't he um, got in trouble for sexual harassment on um, some other show. So there was who, a who is Jeffrey? He Tambor? plays a. Uh, the dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, so George Michael Senior. Is that his name? George Michael. George. I can't. George Senior. Okay. Anyways, yeah. um, so there was some uh, so there was a lot of like tension releasing that new season. So he's not really in it as much as he is in the other seasons because people were kind of pissed about them making mm-hmm. the show with him. Yeah. Um, but another interesting fact is fact is uh, Portia de Rossi was she doesn't want to act anymore. She's over it. She didn't want to do this season, um, and Netflix was like, you know, come and do like maybe one episode, and they talked her into doing a bunch more. Mm. Um, and she, her, she said on Ellen because she was on Ellen talking about it. She said, uh, "Once a bluth, always a bluth." So hopefully she keeps going because it leaves you off on a cliffhanger. So I don't know. Keep okay. watching. It's. Good. I hope. I hope so because I mean I understand why she probably wants to be done with it. Right. But. And Just keep watching. I think I think you're they're like like you told me with how I met your mother. There's jokes that they make later that are, you know are kind of started in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and I'm seeing those continued. And with Arrested Development, the reason it got canceled is because it relied so much on previous stories being told. Yeah. Um, but now now that it's out and it's done, you can binge watch all of them. If you watch them all in a row, you're like, oh my gosh, that's from season one. And if you've just watched season one, you get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Cool. Keep watching. Yep. That's all I have. I just wanted to talk about that's those about, TV yeah, shows a little bit. I think that's about bit. it. I, th- I know you said you like 13 hours. You, you finally Oh, that. dude. Oh, 
man, that that was that shit was too real. That's a gritty movie. Oh, mm-hmm. dude, when I die, guy gets his arm blown off, dude, uh, I was like, Jake it, is probably yeah hate it, this part. It, <laughs> so uh, I went in and did some research to see if he lost his arm. They fit, they, they were, saved it. They were able to save yeah, it. Yeah, that's crazy. insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I told you, I texted you. I didn't really know too much about like the politics of what was going on. So I did a bunch of research and. Wow. You can definitely see the political spin mm-hmm. within the writing of the movie. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up on that at all? What are you referring to? Like, you know, these guys were these guys were left. Right. And the whole Neil like there was there's a uh was it uh Tig? Mm-hmm. Not Tig. Uh the guy who the army the the army ranger. Okay. The army green beret. Okay. The more the kind of the Hispanic guy. Yeah. He would. He says when there's he said having to sit li- and he falls asleep listening to Ambassador Stevens mm-hmm. and he said like and he's he basically comes out what well, he says when when approached by the CIA director he says something like you know it's always these guys coming in have you know with all of these these grand ideas and these right. lofty goals right. and it's us that are in it but they don't know anything about the reality of it down on the ground and we're right. the ones that are, have a ha- have to implement this strategy that never ends up working and it's just we're always back here right. in all these shitholes right and um. I just, I, it's, 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 it was interesting that the kind of the, the political take that it right. That it so yeah, it does say that like as far as like these these politicians or these uh, the bureaucracy doesn't understand what it's really like here. Mm-hmm. They have these dreams of 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 bringing democracy. To yeah, and, and and doing it that way and how that'll never work. Um, but then so that's kind of the the angle that that movie comes from. But then it ends the movie with millions of people um in uh in Baghdad or not Baghdad sorry Benghazi Benghazi in Libya right yeah yeah about uh, all those millions of people mourning um his death what's his name the freaking ambassador oh master Stevens. yeah yeah at the end in just one sentence mm-hmm. it says like millions of people mourned his death in Libya yeah. So, but Libya has also fallen to. I, they also say Libya has fallen to ISIS. No, no, they did that, say yeah. that. Yes, but that that one sentence tells me that there was an element of that democracy and 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 that reaching to the people element of government was working mm-hmm. to some people. There was just these radicals who disagreed with. I mean, what what are your thoughts on like even the CIA being there though? Well, it's it was part of the Obama, the whole Libya operation was right. part of um, Obama administration. I think it was an overcorrection for the red line that uh, he drew in Sy- like for Syria, right? And he said like you know if Assad uses chemical weapons, that's our red line, right? And then Assad went over that red line, and Obama the Obama administration mm-hmm. didn't react, right? And then so now you see this uprising in Libya as kind of an extension of the Arab Spring, right? And you have the Obama administration act in a way that. Uh, took you know that helped remove ben, uh, Muammar Gaddafi mm-hmm, mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. power, and then leaves a, a massive power vacuum. Right and right and and I see where um, the Obama administration using the CIA not wanting to get fully boots on the ground like right. Iraq. Right. So it was almost like this. Well, okay, we understand. He's like, okay, I want you can you can see the politics of, right. the, of the Obama administration and how this worked out. Like, okay, we don't want to have a, the quagmire of Iraq for sure. But then we 
but we have to do something because we came across a super weak in Syria. Mm-hmm. So here's this other here. No, okay, here's another chance. Right. So we're going to try to we're going to try to bring democracy and um, usurp a dictator. Right. Um, through more grassroots means. Right. But then you saw how that could become co-opted. You have the right, the, the right, February right, right. the Feb ninth the February nineteenth militia mm-hmm. who were in con- contact with ISIS soldiers at the right. same. And you, so you see how those those movements became co-opted. And using the CIA to uh, February seventeenth or yeah, yeah, Feb seventeenth. Yeah. 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 So and you're trying to use. Um, you know, trying to use more militia and more groundwork to build democracy from the ground in right. Libya instead of from the top down, like the Bush administration did in right. Iraq. And you can see how neither of them particularly yeah. worked because you could see the, the, the politics of both. So mm-hmm. you, you can see like that Benghazi in both Iraq as a um, as glaring reminders that in a lot of ways, this the United States almost like the modern day civilizing mission that mm-hmm, the British mm-hmm. empire did right. in, in their heyday Definitely. to the indigenous peoples of India and mm-hmm. Africa. It doesn't, it, it doesn't work. Right? right. It's just, it's just, it's just, an, you could argue that it's imperialism, um, that it, it, in its own way, it's just modern imperialism. You're trying right. to bring democracy or civilization right. to the savages. Right. And they're, you know, you air quotes on that, by in, the way. Yeah. I there know, were air right. quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, that's that's the wording that I just use the wording yes. that, the, yeah, that yeah. many of the British, like right, the British right, and right. French empires use for sure. Um, and the United States obviously doesn't use that rhetoric, but it's right. almost like it's almost kind of the same. Yeah, definitely, ideology. definitely. And you can see how that plays out in diff as different administrations have different ideology on mm-hmm. the on the use of power and how that plays out. And it's almost like it it wor- ends up working the exact same way, no matter how it, right. it works, no matter how it's implemented on the ground. Mm-hmm. You still have almost the same exact outcome right very similar outcomes i will say um you know it it i did like how they ended the the movie with um kind of the women coming out to the dead libyans Mm -hmm. and like crying over their bodies yeah um because i think that sometimes those the people in the middle east and and that are just constantly shown as the enemy and kind of dehumanized almost that showed like a humanizing element to it. Like these are people too. Yeah. And they are fighting for things that they believe in as much as these men on the roof were trying to survive and fight for their families, their freedoms in their country for whatever reasons, political or religious as well. They're fighting for what they believe as well, mm-hmm. and and against something that they feel is encroaching on on their land yeah. and their territory. No, it was a very good movie. I thought it was w- really well done. Surprisingly good. Like I, I did not think Krasinski would crush it like that. Mm-hmm. He crushed it. Yeah. Um. One last thing. Have you seen Eight Mile? Yeah. Not Eight Mile. The Green Mile. No. Okay. Watched it last night. Cried like a baby. That's really? all I want to say. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um. Yeah, follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Write to us if you have any ideas or suggestions. Um, We touched on two suggestions that listeners gave us today, so that's fun. It always gives us something to kind of go into the week talking about um, because sometimes we just... It gives me a direction for my research. Exactly. So please, it it helps us. We will, if you give us a topic, we will talk about it. For sure. So, All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 We'll